0: Welcome back listeners to episode 63 of the Football Shirt Show. I'm Adrian Football Shirt Talia. We're mixing things up a little bit this week. So let me pass you across to Mike at Footy Shirts. So we've got a very special feature for you this week. But before we go on to that, I just want to talk about something else very, very quickly. So this week, we're actually going to be dropping an extra podcast for everybody, which I think is great news. It's going to be the much anticipated greatest shirt of all time episode because now all the votes are being counted all the stats have been put together and we are good to go and that will go out on a very special day which is football shirt friday this friday but first as i say we do have a great feature this week which is a very very special leeds united special So we've got a really exciting feature for you all today. We are looking at Leeds United and those dizzy heights of a David O'Leary years. And we found the man, the expert, the guy in the know, and that is Rocco. How are you, Rocco? Hello. Yeah, I'm doing all right. Thank you. OK, why don't you uh, introduce yourselves to me? Obviously, you've written a few books and you're a co-host of Leeds That podcast.
1: Yeah, thank you. Well, um, I've been supporting Leeds for over 30 years now. So my first season ticket was the the inaugural Premier League season in 92-93. In um, and yeah, supported them ever since, of course. And then, yeah, it was, um, it was during the Bielsa era where I started writing for the first time. Um, I was just enjoying his first season so much that I started documenting it and it turned into my first book that got published two or three years ago. And yeah, since then I did a book on the O'Leary years and then uh, the League One era as well, three in, in League One. Um, so yeah, three very interesting periods of the club, and then I started as well uh, with the Leeds that podcast a couple of seasons ago. Uh, so yeah, writing for them, uh, co-hosting weekly. So yeah, it's been been really good, been been great to to be involved with. And what a journey as a Leeds
0: fan as well. It's going into the Premier League, you just come off winning what the first division championship not long before
1: either. That's exactly it. Yeah, yeah. So we were champions, and I mean. I thought that I was a lucky charm because at home, I think we had the second best home record. We lost one game all season, ironically to Nottingham Forest, who finished bottom. Um, but yeah, that was our only home defeat. But we didn't win away from home. Finished 17th <laughs> out of 22, I should add. Wow. Um, yeah, but yeah, yeah, still 17th. So yeah, and then ever since then, it's just been yeah ups and downs, as our as our anthem says. Um, yeah, been been quite quite the roller coaster. Easy to write about, lots of material.
0: I was going to say, and you can keep going, can't you? I think probably one period of time that probably epitomises that roller coaster journey more than anything else, from a neutral looking in, is that O'Leary era. In terms of him coming in, the the the, the high that you went on and. So we say the drop that came after the, the, the climb on that roller coaster, yeah. And we really wanted to bring you in just to chat about that, what it was like as a Leeds fan at the time, and take us through those seasons in terms of some of those players. What was going on in the club? Where should we, I mean, should we kick off with how, even reading this, I, I've forgotten David O'Leary played for Leeds, don't get me wrong, and it looks like it wasn't for very long and he, he, yeah. he had a career-ending injury. But talk us through how he how he became manager.
1: Yeah, so he'd it, it had... Yeah, maybe maybe one or maybe two seasons at the very end of his career he'd come um, to to try and shore up our defence. But yeah, like you say, he played about uh, maybe a handful of games or a dozen at the most um, and then got his injury. But yeah, I guess probably partly because of that connection with the club. When George Graham took over from Howard Wilkinson, he he called on O'Leary to be his assistant. Obviously, he'd worked with him at Arsenal many, many years. So O'Leary was the assistant to George Graham and then when George Graham left for Tottenham, that, well, basically things opened up for O'Leary. We, we actually wanted Martin O'Neill. And with hindsight, it might have been a better choice. But initially, nobody was complaining. We thought we'd struck gold with O'Leary because, you know, he, he brought in a load of the youth players into the team. And it was just magical, really. You know, every single one of them, there was sort of six or seven of them, teenagers from the academy, you know, just thrust into the first team. And absolutely tore it up, you know, pretty much straight away. And and it was it was just so exciting. You know, at that point, you're thinking, well, you know, there's going to be no stopping us here. The sky's the limit. It was all there for us. For a couple of seasons, it was. And then, uh, but yeah, we, we paid for those good times. So, so it was October 98, he came in and you got a fourth
0: place finish in the Premier League, which back then was UEFA Cup, not Champions yeah. League. Is that right?
1: Yeah, that's right. That's right. We We actually... Ended up pushing Man U and Arsenal pretty close. We went on such an amazing run uh, in the second half of the season. He brought in David Batty just to sort of help the youngsters, and the gel of the team was just perfect. And and we were only a few points behind Man United, Arsenal, and Chelsea with with six or seven games to go. But we had a couple of draws, and and they uh, yeah, sort of uh, yeah accelerated away. But still, at the time, you know, you're thinking, well, you know, we've got a really good chance next season. And We had a setback in the summer because Hasselbank left, which was a really bitter blow that, to be honest, I'm still not even over. I'm convinced that we would have won the league that season if he'd have stayed. Um, I think he was all that was missing, really, you know, a a striker with with experience that could share the load. But we still gave it a good run the next season, you know, top two all year, top of the league for most of it, um, but then collapsed pretty horrifically Uh, in the last couple of months not helped of course by the off-field stuff you know this is where it all started to to go wrong really we had the court case in well not the court case but the incident with with Bowyer and Woodgate where where an Asian student got got beaten up in town and and so that cast a massive shadow over the club and it it straight away sort of removed that the feel good factor and you know we were no longer everyone's second team and you know there was no that invincibility that 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 we sort of felt at the time, just went away. And, and then we had the incident in Turkey before the, the UEFA Cup semi-final where two of our fans were murdered. And, and you know, that came, albeit in the middle, but we ha- ended up going on a six-game losing run to, yeah, just kill the season dead. And we were, we were quite lucky to finish third in the end, even though it was a, a two-horse race with Man United pretty much all season. It's, it's a mad, isn't it, really, that sort
0: of, I was going to say, two external Factors, but the two off the field factors can have such a, and then you obviously feel. I can see you feel it can genuinely have such a disruption on on the field events. And they were two two huge incidents, weren't they?
1: Yeah, and I really felt for O'Leary as well. You know, for a young manager to have to have to deal with that, and and then of course the players. As I said, you know, the team was filled with these kids that have been. You know a couple of years ago dreaming of of being in the first team and and they're living their dreams they're you know chasing honors at home and abroad and then you know absolutely incredible and suddenly you know they find themselves in this position where you know the club's in mourning and yeah i don't know i don't know how anyone dealt with it and, i mean they didn't deal with it they were they were losing every week, but you know they still managed to come back from that and and sort of finish the job that they intended to do that season and qualify for the champions league did it on on the last day of the season. Uh, scraped over the line thanks to thanks to Bradford beating Liverpool and and then yeah we were sort of back on track thereafter and and the next season of course was uh, well yeah living the dream as it as it was once called <laughs> We'll we'll get there. Bradford Bradford were helped by a
0: few ex Leeds players in that starting lineup as well that day. Yeah, um, that's true. We think of the O'Leary years and we think of all those signings that came in. And I was just going to ask you if you knew who the first signing was, but you've already you've already, <laughs> you've already dropped it yeah. in there. And, you know, went for the experienced ex Leeds boy in, in bringing David Batty into the club.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and that was the dream signing. You know, I, I remember when we were first linked with Batty. Like the fans were chanting his name, you know, this was like three or four weeks before we even signed him. He was getting chanted from the terraces, you know, Batty was loved. He should never have been allowed to leave. And yeah, to bring him back was just brilliant. And I mean, Batty was fantastic, you know, really underrated footballer. He, he, was, he was so talented, you know, beautiful player, not just a destroyer, but just wonderful on the ball as well. Um, he, he was fantastic when he came back to Leeds. I think it, it was just exactly what we needed at the time.
0: So, the end of that 98, 99 season, he finished fourth, which was UEFA Cup qualification. And at that point, O'Leary had signed Batty, as you say, and he'd brought in Eric Backer as well. I'll tell you what, that's a name in the past. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, he wasn't, wasn't a big name at all at that point, was he? And, and, no. and appeared and did really big things for the next couple of years for you.
1: He was brilliant backer. Yeah, really, really good. And, and that was it. You know, O'Leary had this clear strategy, made no secret of the fact that he wanted young. I mean, mainly British backer was obviously uh, Norwegian, but, you know, he wanted young British players up and coming to, to fit into the squad. But also Leeds were very, very patient in the transfer market. And this is the part of the story that's probably the most baffling considering how it went. Because, you know, we were walking away from big transfers. You know, Kieran Dyer, we refused to pay six million for him. So he went to Newcastle. John Arnaresa, we were trying to sign him from Monaco, I think it was, and wouldn't pay, I think, four million. He ended up going to Liverpool, you know, two players that we really could have done with. <laughs> uh, so it's like they were, they were patient at the wrong time and then panicked at the wrong time as well, actually, as we'll probably come to. Uh, but yeah, it's just fascinating how sensible they were in those days. You know, they wouldn't overplay overpay. For players, you know, they were they were taking it, you know, really steady and sensibly. What happened to that strategy? Yeah, no, and
0: you you talk about that, and it's it's really clear now. Look at it on paper. That ninety nine two thousand summer, then the players they brought in, so young Danny Mills, four million. I mean, that's it was big money back then, but it wasn't silly money, was it? You know, debrief from Chelsea, probably a bit of an older head, but same 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 British, same English. Michael Bridges, really really
1: rated striker, wasn't he? I mean, that that was
0: probably the big name that summer. Yeah, um, I think. He was... Hasselbank as well. I mean, that's a big ask.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean he was brought into play with Hasselbank and and probably by the end of the season he needed him, but you know, he, he fired through the first half of the season. He was on fire. Um and he, he was brilliant. And I mean I was I wasn't particularly happy that we spent five million on him because he he wasn't even getting a game at Sunderland. Sunderland were in the league below, but they had Niall Quinn and Phillips up front. So I think Bridges was sort of getting minutes here and there playing in midfield and and then obviously maybe coming on or whatever. Um, So I was wondering why we're spending five million on him. But yeah, that was an inspired signing.
0: Yeah, top scorer. Huckabee, 4 million from Coventry. That, yeah, he does some yeah. pretty pretty big appearances, hasn't he, the previous seasons. stand out
1: goals, you still watch him on telly um, now, yeah. don't you? Um, so that yeah, Um yeah. I remember him scoring the hat-trick at Ellen Road one time. So I was, I, he was the one I was most excited about, but uh, probably delivered okay. the least. In him. Yeah, OK. Yeah, Now I can understand
0: why, though. I understand why, because he was sort of player that was... Match of the day, he was always getting you out of your armchair because he's <laughs> yeah, always scoring yeah. spectacular goals.
1: And then I guess, again, another one to sort of steady the ship who'd been there and done it, um, Jason Wilcox. Yeah, yeah, and that, that, again, was an inspired signing because not only because Wilcox was just a you know, really steady presence in the dressing room and someone who had been there and, and done it and a reliable winger, you know, sort of seven or eight out of ten every week and, and played really well, but the main thing was he released Harry Kuehl to be able to move central. So Kuehl started playing up front with Bridges, you know, just in a free role behind him. Um, rather than being shackled to the left wing, and, and, and Kiel just exploded that season. You know, I think he won one Young Player of the Year, and he was in the running for for Player of the Year itself. And I think he scored about 17 goals. He was he was unbelievable, actually. You know, when you look back at the highlights, it, it, I, I'm always surprised watching him how how fantastic he was. He, he was an absolute joy, And like a lot of our young players. You know, never 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 really sort of reached the height you expected you know probably because of injuries um, or certainly partly because of injuries but yeah he was he was frightening that season He, he was awesome
0: what was the story on harry kill in terms of he came through at Leeds. I mean, did you bring him across from Australia or Yeah.
1: He he was just he was a schoolboy and he came on a trial, um, just you know, just to try and win a, a scholarship in England and, and that's how he landed at Leeds. Yeah. So I think he was about sixteen when he came and I think he made his debut either that season or a bit later. It was like seventeen when he made his debut and then a couple of years later broke broke into the team and and then never yeah, never looked back from there after.
0: Over the next few seasons you've got your Woodgates, your Bowyers, your Alan Smiths, your Ian Hart's, your McPhails. I mean, I think injuries probably yeah. affected quite quite a few of your players, actually, who we've already spoken yeah. about. But I, I, the one thing that sort of does stand out, you've got that strategy 99000 but that's the best part of thirty million spent and the yeah. bank out for twelve million was the only probably the only player that got any noticeable fee.
1: That's right. Yeah. Was that an early it's...
0: warning or back then is it was it not really a, a thought?
1: No, it, it... It, it wasn't a thought at that stage, I don't think. I think we were just, you know, thinking that we were being ambitious. I think the previous summer we, we'd, we'd we'd been taken over. Um, so we had new owners the previous summer or two summers previous. So I think we sort of expected that they would spend money. And, you know, O'Leary spoke about it a lot. In fact, when O'Leary took the job, um, so O'Leary was the, the caretaker. And when they offered him the job, he didn't take it straight away. He didn't sign a contract for, you know, over a week because he wanted assurances about yeah. transfer fees, about, you know, how much money he would have to spend, which probably says a lot. And actually, as I was writing the the O'Leary book, you know, researching it more, it's more and more striking how much O'Leary talks about signings. You know, he's just always saying we need a bigger squad. We need a better squad. We need better players. You know, the babies need help and and all this. It, it's just constant, constant message. So, Maybe that ground down the board in the end and, and led to to what came next. But yeah, like you say, at that point, I don't think there was any concerns from the fans in terms of overspending. I think we were just we were just riding the crest of a wave. Some of the old older heads that went out, like you said, did no bad thing. Was it Sharp,
0: Gunnar and Weverell all went to Bradford and actually did you a favour in the end?
1: Yeah, yeah, and Weatherall got the goal, didn't he? It, which was amazing. And I I always looked out for Bradford's scores anyway. I know it's a local rival, but I always wanted them to, to do well and to stay up. So I, it was like a double yeah, double celebration. Um, but that was an amazing day and, and Weatherall scoring the goal to get us in the Champions League. Yeah, it's just poetic. I think they've probably got rid of too many old heads a bit too soon, especially, I mean, they weren't to know that we would struggle with injuries so badly, but having such a young squad, yeah, looking back, I feel like it was a mistake to let let some of those older heads go, even if they weren't of the quality that we wanted for Champions League football. It's handy, isn't it? Having people around like that. You're right. But you did go big again, didn't you? The
0: (laughs) Champions League football coming? Yeah. Probably... uh, Two of the biggest players you sort of think of when you think of the era that he brought in. Don't get me wrong, you've got your Harry Kills and things that you developed. But that was the year you brought Mark Vadika in and Ria Ferdinand for world yeah. record fee for a defender, wasn't it, at the time?
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. British transfer record. And then yeah, the world record fee for a defender, eighteen million. And yeah, it was it that was quite flabbergasting for, for me and for everybody really. I mean, we've been linked with him all summer, you know. I, th- I think everyone knew that O'Leary wanted him as like the long-term replacement for Wood, uh, for um, Radderby, Like the fee was always banded around at about 12 million. When it was revealed that we'd agreed a fee and it was 18, you know, like we were all just dumbstruck. I, I couldn't believe it. And I mean, again, I I think this is just me. Uh, generally, I'm always pessimistic, but you know, I was thinking it was crazy. You know, this guy, you know, West Ham He's just, you know, ball playing defender, you know, can he even defend? But within within two matches like you could see he was absolutely world class he w- he was amazing you know he sort of there's, there's some players that you see and they're just they're just different you know and, and it's the same in other sports like you know Ronnie O'Sullivan the way he hits a snooker ball and like Kevin Peterson and like I got that feeling watching uh, watching Ferdinand he was just he was just a different class he was really stand out so that was so exciting having having play like him in the team but yeah, that was the point where you're starting to think, where is this money coming from? <laughs> that is a big outlay. <laughs> it is, it is. So it's eight, yeah, eighteen
0: for Ferdinand, six and a half for the Duca. Dominic Matteo, again, you yeah, know, great servant for the club. Um Four point seven five million. Yeah, it's quite a big, quite a sizeable fee, yeah. I guess, for 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 a defender of his profile. Um, Robbie Keane, you brought him back from into Was that later in the season for twelve million?
1: Yeah. Well, he came in on loan at first, so that made sense because we had a lot of injuries, yeah. and Keane came in on loan, and 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 it worked brilliantly. You know, it was a masterstroke. He 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 would play the league games, and Alan Smith would play the European games second half of the season we were just winning every week it was unbelievable (laughs) but then you know you get to the end of the season and and was it wise to spend what was it 13 million on him Um, you know when we had so many strikers already at the club
0: Champions League football come in at that stage. I mean, Leeds had and, and tasted European football before. You know, that team of the late 60s, early 70s won the, I never know what the Cup yeah, was. It was the, equivalent of like the UEFA Cup sort of thing, UEFA it, Cup, eh? yeah.
1: yeah. Um, They'd won two UEFA Cups and then um, they got to the final of the Cup Winners' Cup and lost that and then lost the European Cup final as well a couple of years later. So, yeah, the club had, had been... I mean, all through the Revy years, ten years, we were we were always in the latter stages of European football. But like to experience it for myself was was just surreal. Really, it was it was incredible. Like I'd, I'd had, I think we'd had one or two UEFA Cup campaigns under Wilkinson, and we had actually the inaugural Champions League. We were we were in Europe as as the English champions, of course, and. Lost to Rangers, um, but that is sort of ended before it had started, really. So, yeah, to have it week in, week out in the Champions League with, with the draws that we got as well against some of the biggest names in Europe and, and coming through those, those ties, it was just phenomenal. It was such an amazing feeling around the club. What were some of the highlights then? Because I seem to remember there were some big comebacks. Was, there, was Was Milan in there in your group or something like that? I can't. Yeah, think. yeah, we had we had in the first group we had Milan and Barcelona. Um, I mean and... that's a group of death, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. A lot of people were happy, and I was gutted because I thought, well, you know, we're out. It's it's all over, and we lost the first game four nil to Barca. But then in the second game we had AC Milan at Ellen Road and. Driving rain. I mean, it was all set up for it. Looking back, um, and yeah, like a 90th minute 30-yard strike from Boya um, that Dida just spilt into the net. Just an incredible moment to give us the three points and sort of yeah, like that, that kicked off the campaign for us really. And then, you yeah, know, we were we were on the verge of qualification on the on the second last home game or the second last game at home to Barcelona. We were winning 1-0. We just had to hold on to knock them out. And uh, Rivaldo popped up in the 94th minute with an equaliser. Just an absolute heartbreaker, you know. You, and then you go to the San Siro needing a point, And again, you're thinking it's all over. But yeah, another incredible night. I just always regret that I wasn't old enough to go to the away games. You know, I, I should probably just be grateful that I was at the home games. And then what was your journey through the through the knockout stages then yeah so then well well there was a second group in those oh, days blimey, i think it was a- yeah. Yeah, short-lived uh, thing. But again, we we drew Lazio, who were Italian champions at the time, with Sven Goran Eriksson and Real Madrid. <laughs> so it was like another crazy group, and Anderlecht, who were a really good team. You know, I think they'd won like 20 home games on the trot. They'd beaten Man U in the first group stage, not knocked them out, but but beaten them at home. Yeah. And they, they were the highlights. Actually, the two games against Andelek. So they came in the the middle of the group back to back. They were there were vital games and. Yeah, we were losing 1-0 in the home game and, and hart scored a trademark free kick and then Bowie pops up, five minutes to go, um, pops one in at the cop end and, and that was just that was just an incredible moment, one that probably stick with me forever. You know, That, that actually, that probably is my, my highlight in terms of a moment from that era. Anything Leeds have done since
2: he's come on. I've been through fuel all the time. Loughlin's on the right, he's he still on the ball and that was Smith to Bowie trying to get through round
1: a mistake he simply stood on the ball Lee wasn't
2: hanging around he may well have won
1: it because it was it was so important you know, having to go to Anderlecht the following week, yeah. knowing that we didn't need to go there and get a, a win at that point, you know a draw would have probably been all right. And we went there and absolutely battered them, beat them 4-1 and, you know, scored some incredible goals, playing some lovely football. Um, but yeah, the, the only downside was that we were already through. And so like the games at the Bernabeu and Lazio at home were were dead rubbers, which nice in a way because you can just enjoy them. But, you know, it's almost a bit of a waste of the fixtures, really. But yeah, yeah. not complaining at the time, of course. I was going to say, you've got, you've got to take it, you've got to take it. So you got all the way through to the semis, wasn't it, in the end? That's really? right, yeah. So then it was, again, we, we got the Spanish champions, uh, Deportivo, in the quarters, and we, again, smashed them at Ellen Road, 3-0. An amazing performance. Probably the best performance I've seen from a Leeds team. We we were just unbelievable. Uh, managed to get through that s- second leg. It was a difficult second leg. They beat us 2-0, and it was, yeah, nerve-wracking all the Squeaky way through. Sweet time, yeah. <laughs> yeah, massively. <laughs> but then, yeah, the semi-final with Valencia, and uh, it's... Like, it's just such a regret for me now. At the time, honestly, I, I took it pretty well because I just thought we'd be back. You know, I just thought this was the first season, such a young side. You know, what an experience for us. You know, we've we've gone so far, come so close. The, the home game was a nil-nil draw, and we went there. You know, in my head, we just needed to score an away goal, and and they'd been massively under the cosh. I thought I thought we were going to get to the final, and. I mean, the final was was a dream scenario. It was it was Bayern Munich who who had beat us controversially in the 75 final. So it was like a chance yeah. to get a rematch against them at the San Siro as well, which would have been unbelievable. And we'd already actually applied for our tickets for the final. So, you know, yeah. effectively I had tickets for the match, but then we lost, oh. <laughs> lost 3-0 in Valencia. That was, yeah, it, I mean, it was horrible. But yeah, like I said, I just... I just felt like we'd, you know, it would be fine. We'd be back, maybe not the next season, but eventually, you know, we w- we would come back. There was so much more to come from the team, but yeah, wasn't to be. Pretty
0: special Valencia team that, back then, though. I think people probably forget now, and you look back at it on paper and you
1: realise, obviously, M- Mendieta um, yeah, and, uh, and all the yeah. other sort of Spanish internationals that came through. That's the thing that, like in those days, there were so many good teams. You know, the talent wasn't just sort of uh, funneled to three or four clubs so, you know it was, it was great having to play you know all these different teams with with lots of different you know top class players and, and yeah they they were magnificent really Valencia I think they had the experience of getting to the final the previous season and I think that probably told in the end. So you finished fourth that season back in the
0: league which yeah. still was just outside Champions League places back then.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, my brother's a Liverpool fan, so he was going to all the Liverpool games and I'm going to all the Leeds games and it was Leeds v Liverpool for that last Champions League spot and it went right down to the wire, the last game of the season and and I really, again, really thought we were going to do it because Liverpool had they'd just had the, it was that cup final where Owen scored the two late goals, they'd won that and then yeah. they went to Dortmund for the UEFA cup final, won 5-4 <laughs> after extra time against Alibers yeah. and then three days later they're going to Charlton and they need to get a result. And I'm thinking, surely they're going to run out of steam now. And, uh, yeah, nah, I think they won 4-0 or something. Oh, <laughs> no. That put paid to our, our challenge. And, yeah, sort of everyone's trying to dress it up as, um, you know, being in the UEFA Cup gives us a better chance of going for the league the next season. But I was going to say, like, I mean, you take it now, wouldn't you? You
0: know, Europa, Europa League football, yeah. Yeah, fourth place finish, or it'd be fifth now, wouldn't it, get there? But... Did it feel like coming off the season you just had, you know, the dizzy heights that you'd reached? Did it feel a bit like an anticlimax, like it was starting to dip?
1: Uh, I don't. I wouldn't say it felt like it was starting to dip, but yeah, definitely it felt like an anticlimax. I remember the you know the early rounds of the UEFA Cup the following season. I didn't even go to the games, which which says a lot actually. That sort of gives you an inkling into the mentality that that people probably had, but. It, it was a different, like this, that next season, we were definitely off the boil. Like we weren't, we weren't the same team, but we were still getting results. I think we, we were undefeated through the first few months of the season. We lost at Sunderland in November, I remember. And, and even at, you know, at, on New Year's Day, we were top of the league. I, I was just looking,
0: you definitely top of Christmas. Yeah, top at the
1: turn of the year, you were top of the league. Yeah, Yeah, and I think we'd only lost two games or maybe if I'm forgetting one, three, but not many, you know, but we had had a lot of draws and, The football just wasn't the same you know O'Leary's team had been famed for being fearless and you know attacking football and and we were just almost the opposite you know we we had Ferdinand now and it was almost like we were relying on our strong defense and eking out draws you know it it was a good start to the season you know we drew at Old Trafford we'd won at Highbury we drew at Anfield uh, we drew against Chelsea so all these draws that were sort of holding us back they were all against our main rivals you know with a lot of them to come to Ellen Road in the second half of the season so although the football wasn't as scintillating like that that didn't even register really at the time you know we were just a you know top team grinding out results and you just think you're going to come good and and yeah I really thought we were going to win the league you know even even at the halfway point. And it was another nine million on Seth Johnson, another player. And this, honestly, the amount of
0: players you've had that have that, you know, come to injuries. And but, yeah, but there's, there's another one. And he was and he was a hot prospect at the time. Remembering more from Championship manager. And that's <laughs> where I'd recognise the name from because I think it was Crew, wasn't it? He came from. That's but right. Big, yeah. Big fee, nine million, and and Robbie Fowler, eleven million. So that's sort of another another twenty million spent. Yeah, and, yeah. So is it? Is this? And you're going to name obviously a lot more. Is this the story about the club had gone and got a loan to have another push at Champions League football against yeah. future gate receipts but had just missed out on Champions League? So, in the background, although nobody knew, this is where it was really starting to. Yeah, come
1: yeah, out. exactly, exactly. I so I was sort of thinking that the Rio Ferdinand transfer had, had probably been in like we'd probably been spending next season's Champions League money ahead of time with that Ferdinand transfer but we didn't get in the Champions League and then the next season we're sort of doing the same again we're, we're almost you know spending Champions League money that we don't even have you know on, on Fowler and Seth Johnson and and this was the point where me and, and all the Leeds fans were thinking you know we were starting to think well h- how are we affording this and actually after we signed Robbie Fowler um, we had our club AGM and, and Risdale was asked by the fans you know how are we affording this and and Risdale reassured them, you know, saying, "Look, you know, we're, you, the club is in sensible hands. You know, we're running it. Uh, you know, you know, all the all the excuses or all the things that you'd expect him to say about how how sensibly that they're they're running the club." And there was no issue. But yeah, as it turns out, it was a massive, massive gamble. Um, I mean, it, I do have a bit of sympathy in that if they were if they were just gambling the next season's Champions League money. I mean, the fourth place uh, Champions League spot had just come in, so. You know, right. to think we'd finish outside the top four, it was almost unfathomable. You know, we were top of the league. Everything had gone perfectly. Everyone that O'Leary had signed had been brilliant. So if O'Leary says he wants Seth Johnson and Fowler, you know, you're just thinking, well, great, let's go and do it and, and let's go and win everything. <laughs> uh, but yeah, again, it just it just didn't work out like that. And and I, th- I think O'Leary should have known better. I came to realise very quickly that Robbie Fowler... He's it, had a decent scoring record, but it just took away a lot of our threat. It took away all the zest from the attack. You know, you know Smith and Viduca had torn up Europe. You know, people couldn't handle them both. You know, Smith was a live wire, and suddenly, you know, Viduca's not got a lot of pace, and neither's Fowler. You've sort of got two sort of, you know, it's a harsh word, but like two plodding forwards suddenly. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and Leeds are a totally different team then. and And it just. It just never gelled. And then you're starting to get players who are unhappy not playing, Smith's being shoehorned onto the right wing, and yeah, it just just didn't work. It was it, it was a bit of a disaster.
0: Still a fifth place finish, which in O'Leary's seasons it was fourth, third, fourth, fifth, like you yeah. say, fifth, just not not good enough in terms of what the owners had gambled at the time. And it sort of came came to an end quite abruptly. It did I mean did it feel Knee jerk? Did it feel like it shouldn't have happened, or were you?
1: I wouldn't say that it was abrupt as such. I mean, the, the second half of the season had been a disaster. You know, we'd, we'd, the results have been really, really poor. And not only that, O'Leary had started criticizing his players, and his his players were sort of biting back, and and it was quite clear that all wasn't happy in the camp. But on the last day of the season, you know, O'Leary was still getting a hero reception. Um, you know, the, the lap of honour that they do at the end of the season. You know, he's uh, high fiving all the fans, and and everything seemed okay. I think everyone just accepted that we had a a bad half of the season, and and we would go again. But yeah, when the sacking happened, I mean, I was upset, but I sort of understood it, and I was a bit excited. It, you know, we sort of got to the point where you know, people were unhappy at things that O'Leary had done. You know, they were unhappy with the the Fowler signing he'd he'd promoted Brian Kidd ahead of Eddie Gray into as his assistant manager right. which I mean it doesn't Given help history, of yeah. yeah yeah the Man U links um and the fact that Eddie Gray is such a huge legend um yeah. but not just that you know just just the whole yeah the whole dynamic of it you know relegating someone like Eddie Gray who who's you know half the team had grown up with you know he was the youth team manager and then yeah. suddenly he's demoted and Everything just started getting a bit weird. How Leary wrote his book and ah, uh, was that I think, the the, yeah. the
0: fight in Leeds or something? What it was, it called it was, it was called, about
1: um, uh, Leeds United on trial. On trial so it? yeah, it was you know sort of a massive expose on on the on the club on the ins and outs of such a delicate topic. I mean, this it's it mad to do in through. the job actually when you think about <laughs> doing
0: that whilst you're actually still in the
1: seat writing about players yeah yeah I'm still playing for you and what yeah. right about your employer that's still
0: yeah okay all right it's unbelievable that was halfway yeah, through the season Wow.
1: yeah yeah and, and that's when we started to go downhill so you can't say that 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 wasn't a huge factor and it's quite funny I, for, again for the book I read um I read the Leeds United on trial I'd read I'd read it at the time and I'd just enjoyed it I was a kid and you know it's fine but reading it now is just unbelievable you know he he starts off by saying, of oh, you know, players are sensitive nowadays. You can't say anything without them being insulted. And then he spends the whole book, you know, insulting them, albeit, you know, always coming back. And, you know, his overall message was that he loved his players, but he's still talking about all the fables and, you know, all, all the downsides to their characters. And, it, it, yeah, you just can't believe that a manager, firstly, could be allowed to do it. And secondly, could, could even want to do it. You know, it was just, yeah, completely moronic really <laughs> wow yeah okay all
0: right I feel stupid now for asking if the second was a was a surprise because actually the picture <laughs> yeah, just yeah. paint
1: there I'm like absolutely not
0: you know yeah <laughs> so yeah. W- we yeah, won't talk yeah. about what happened afterwards that's that's probably another book you can write at some point yeah, <laughs> yeah it's probably not an enjoyable book to write but you know it's, it's probably worthy of a book I would have thought um, well
1: oh god yeah I mean I, I sort of mentioned it I, I mentioned the slide at the like in the in the epilogue of my O'Leary book you know because it, it is part of the story you know what came next and so I sort of cover in in a few chapters the, the slide down to league one but yeah it was just it was just one thing after another it was absolute heartbreak and then yeah 14 years in the doldrums um, yeah it was tough tough to take but then you know Bielsa comes along and and suddenly as you know as a football fan once one good thing happens sort of everything goes out the window you just forget it and you're like right great the good times are back <laughs> let's just enjoy them
0: well it's so like you can carry on enjoying them you're um, you certainly showing fighting spirit at the moment yeah to, yeah to retain your premiership status it's going to probably go down the wire for a few teams <laughs> we're a football kit podcast let's go back to the kits back then and this is the the mad thing about you know even even what was the late 90s early noughties we complain about all the kits that we see every single year now but actually during this four-year period there were only actually two home shirts because they kept them both for two seasons um and the same with a couple of the away shirts so so the first couple of seasons it was puma wasn't it that were yeah that's right and it it was a new badge as well wasn't it for the new, new manager new badge as well
1: yeah, exactly. Yeah, we had uh, had the new badge. Um, so yeah, the, the shield badge that we still have have nowadays. Um, and I really liked that. And uh, yeah, I loved that Puma kit. Um, had like a, the, yeah, the, the the Puma logos down the sides and the little sort of shiny shiny bit down the sleeve. Um, really tidy, nice kit. I loved that. But yeah, I think the Champions League. Probably, I guess, because because it was a Champions League and such a good time. You know, that home kit with the strongbow. Uh, logo and again just such a clean classic kit really you know you you can't really find a fault with it it was it was beautiful you know and any Leeds kit that's pretty much pure white is is going to get the thumbs up from me and yeah that was a beauty Uh, but also yeah I mean it must have been the season before when it was still Puma I think when we had uh, like the Lazio inspired away shirt uh, which was you know pretty out there the time you know because it wasn't classic leeds white yellow or blue you know it was sky blue not the club's colors but yeah i mean that was that was very well received and and then we had a yellow version of the same kit as well which which was my favorite just because it was all yellow and yeah I'm, i'm 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 a very big one for for wanting to see leeds looking like leeds you know even you know obviously everyone plays in the home kit because you know it's just accepted and and nowadays like, I don't mind having one sort of wacky away shirt and then one normal away shirt but nowadays Leeds just seem to be trying to go as wacky as possible and you know I just I, I want to wear a shirt that looks like Leeds I want to watch Leeds and and know that I'm watching Leeds you know that's why I loved I love us being all white or all yellow because you know it's 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 just you know it's signature isn't it you know there's not many clubs or any clubs that that play in those colours so that's what I love to see. But I can understand why it's not going to sell every year, you know, a full yellow kit every, every time. You probably can't get away with it. For, for outsiders looking in, you know, some people
0: almost joke about certain clubs and their kits, you know, you get the same kit every single year. But but you just hit the nail on the head. When you, When you're a fan of that club, you want a kit that instantaneously you're like, that's my team's. Team's colours. That's my team's kit. You know, you want that from a home shirt, don't you? So, especially yeah. people looking, going, "Oh, you know, being a Leeds kit designer or a Leeds shirt they look the same every year."
1: That's that's exactly what as a fan, a lot of fans want for a home shirt. Yeah, that's it. And I mean, especially for Leeds with the like nowadays with the training kits. It's just bizarre you know they're coming out with these color combinations that are nothing like leeds like, i don't know if you, you you maybe not have seen but like at the moment our training kits are basically wolves you know you, we look like we're wolves you know why would you buy that like crazy and, and like we even earlier in the season we were wearing what looked like a cast off of a of a man united training kit you know we, it was literally the same kit that they had but with a leeds badge instead of instead of a man new one and I don't know how they come up with this stuff, you know. No Leeds fan is surely going to want to buy and, and wear that stuff, you know. I, I want to I wanna look like a Leeds fan. If I'm going to wear a, a Leeds top, you know, I want people to know that it's Leeds without just having to notice the badge, you know. So I don't get that. Even from a marketing point of view, I, I don't understand how that, that can work and even you think that yeah, as
0: professionals producing these kits, how you can give somebody the same template as as a writer, the biggest rival, because yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> ultimately they want to sell it, don't they? And you think, well, that just doesn't even make financial sense in terms of supplying them with it. But no, nah, I don't understand it at all. It's a it's a really strange one. You've had a couple of, as you say, wacky. Uh, away way third kits the last few years I mean what what have your what's your view been on the on the current kits of the last few yeah. years
1: uh, oh god well I I mean I, I love our home kit this season actually even though we can't win in it but I do really like that but my god the away kit the, the yellow and blue or you know we call it the the Stilton kit you know it I honestly think it's the worst kit I've ever seen <laughs> like I, I really really hate it like it's 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 worth seeing it in person as well like in real life it's it's just a really horrible shade of yellow if you can even call it yellow and it just doesn't work the patterns just oh no I really don't like it and then our third kit as well you know it's I mean it was actually designed by the chairman's son who's you know a child was it <laughs> uh, I did not know yeah this yeah honestly all. yeah well um, unless unless that's a, a wild uh twitter rumor but the way it's talked about i think it's accepted as true yeah um i couldn't say 100 percent to be fair but yeah i I think it is um and yeah again just in nothing nothing you know no identity to it it's not nothing special about it so yeah i I think they need to rethink their strategy and just try and try and go back to basics with it
0: and you say go back to basics we've seen leaks recently haven't we the last week or two of the new home shirt for next season which again outside looking in it's it's looks exactly like a lead shirt should look so i'm guessing you're a fan and it's also got a
1: nice hidden detail in the pattern as well isn't it that's right yeah yeah it's been really well received on online actually and and i really like it yeah like you say it's um nice and simple and then yeah it's got a peacock um sort of woven into the pattern um which looks really good yeah it's quite old school isn't it that's how they always used to be in the in the early 90s with the patterns on used to like that um yeah, it looks really good. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to to seeing that come up. Looks good. Hopefully it'll be a Premier League badge on the arm. <laughs> hopefully,
0: hopefully it will. Right, I'm going to give you some thinking time, because in a minute, we always we always close off, I guess, by asking them their favourite ever kit mixed with their favourite ever player. So it can be a fantasy, fantasy combination. But before that, what are your thoughts on how, how it's going to pan out over the next, what, seven, eight games is it left now?
1: Yeah. Eight games. I, I do think we're going to be all right. We've 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 just come off the back of a horrific result at home to Crystal Palace. Um, you know, we were all lulled into a false sense of security, 1-0 up thinking, you know, we're going to canter to safety. And then, yeah, that awful 20 odd minutes happened. But I think we're in a decent position. I think we've we've got a four point head start over Leicester and we've got them to play at Ellen Road as well. So we have to back ourselves. Um, if we don't get enough points, we don't deserve to stay up. But... I, yeah I feel like we'll I think we'll be all right I think we're in a better position than last season at least so yeah I'll put my trust in in Javi Grazia and and just yeah I think we're gonna do it I hope you do you've got some exciting players that are showing a bit of form
0: as well attacking players so I think that, that always makes a difference and and hopefully it will for you next next few weeks but but coming back to it then that fancy question your favorite ever Leeds
1: shirt what are you going with? Uh, I'm going to go with the the very first shirt from the Premier League, the inaugural Premier League season, uh, the Admiral shirt. Again, like a very very uh, clean design. You know, just had a nice blue collar V-neck, um, and I don't know. Like obviously nowadays the kits are all skin tight, but it was just lovely and baggy. You know, <laughs> like all the players look good in it, and. I just yeah, just uh, probably because I was young as well. It had that magical feel, you know. It just was like gleaming white, you know. They they're going at halftime on a night match, and it'd be you know all all covered in mud, and they would come back out in fresh fresh kits, and it was just like yeah, gleaming white, look like gods coming out. Um, so yeah, I will go with that kit, and uh, and in that kit, I would have to put Pablo Hernandez. Uh, yeah. um, I think he yeah. Just love that guy, an absolute magician. Um so to see him playing in that kit in that team with the likes of McAllister and Strachan, uh, that would have been absolutely magical. And yeah, I I love Pablo. I know he's never he never played for us properly in the Premier League. He only got a few minutes here and there, but yeah, a guy was a genius, a, a real, a real top, top player. So yeah, I will, I will bestow that honor upon him.
0: <laughs> I, I really, really do love that answer. You know that, yeah, going for a player like that because you, you, I mean the list of players that you could have picked, that even you've seen as a as a Leeds fan over the last thirty years is incredible. But but going for a man who got you back there, you know, um, yeah. it, oh, it's
1: really wonderful answer that. <laughs> I'd have gone with Bielsa, but yeah, he was a rubbish left back. So
0: <laughs> he could be the manager on the sideline. Yeah, exactly. yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Stay, good, yeah. Stay on your bucket. <laughs> yeah,
0: no, great stuff. Great stuff. Listen, uh, Rocco, it's been so much fun. I really
1: enjoyed chatting and um, chatting I agree with you. Tell people where can they find your books. Yeah, you can you can find them on on Amazon or any good bookshop, I believe. Um, but yeah, it's Marcelo Bielsa versus the Damned United. Uh, the o'leary years league one Leeds, and then coming out in august is Marcella bielsa versus the premier leagues so that's the the sequel to my first book which was all about the, the two seasons uh, where they got promoted and then yeah you can find me on on Leeds that as well um leads that.com um but yeah on, on all the podcast players uh, a weekly show that we release monday or tuesday or yeah day after a game basically
0: we will share the links to um, to the podcast handle and also to your personal handle, uh, which on Twitter is for everybody. It's at R O C L U F C. So, but we'll share all those um, in there and, and links to the Amazon shop as well with the book. So, fantastic! Really great fun. Look forward to seeing how the rest of the season plays up, and uh, wish you best of luck. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me.
1: Take care. See ya. Bye bye.
2: I have to say i really really enjoyed that it took me right back to what is possibly my favorite period of the premier league and possibly of football as well i mean leagues they were such an ascendant club at that time and it, i remember as a young lad it was so exciting the squad they were building you know they had that kind of perfect blend of exciting foreign imports people like harry kewell and people like mark Viduka and olivier decor and then at the same time they just had this unbelievable crop of youngsters both homegrown and brought in like Paul Robinson, Alan Smith, Jonathan Woodgate, Rio Ferdinand was there so yeah it's great to kind of reminisce and think back to that time when football was just absolutely everything to me really 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 good uh, interview there AD. Um, got lots more of that coming up as well because we do have another issue of the pod coming up with forgotten football clubs fellow podcaster have some really great insights into clubs of days gone by and we also have an episode based on the portuguese cup and the kits of some of the portuguese teams outside of traditional top three so yeah that's uh with an author who wrote one thousand miles to jamor and that is coming up in the next couple of weeks so yeah we can't wait for you to hear these because we've put a lot of time into them and we really are looking forward to football shirt friday this week as well so keep your eyes peeled on all of the socials for what we have planned for that thanks tom really appreciate your feedback there and i know you're marching up a hill at the moment so
0: thank you for taking the time out from your walk to do so we really can't wait to bring you this extra bonus episode on friday so keep your ears plugged for that in the meantime thanks again to everybody for listening i think it's all over it is now